0: Together as we begin and ask God's help for us this morning. Fathers, your people, we gather here each week to hear from you, and we believe that in this book you have revealed yourself. and it is through the pages of Scripture that you speak to us today. Your Word is living and abiding and enduring, and we know that even today as we read your word, as we understand it, that we hear your voice. When the Word of God is properly preached, then your voice is properly heard, and we pray that that would be the case today that You would glorify Yourself today by helping us to understand Your Word. We commit this time to You today to this end. In Jesus' name, Amen. I remember when I first got ready to preach through the book of Philippians, Dave Rich, one of our elders, asked what was next. And I told him, I think we settled on the book of Philippians. And I remember a comment that he made to me. He said, I'm looking forward to the book of Philippians because the book of Philippians has gems lying all over the surface of the book. And what he meant by that was that as you read through the book of Philippians, it's very easy. You come across these passages or these verses through the Philippians that are just ripe for the picking. They're laying on the surface. You don't have to do any digging. You don't have to do any research. You don't have to do any study in order to harvest great truths, which just seem to lie on top of the surface of the book. And other passages of Scripture take a little bit of digging, and the gems or the jewels are right beneath the surface. And so it takes a little bit of work to sort of dust them off and polish them up a bit and find them. And I'm convinced that the deeper you plow through Scripture, the more significant and the more precious are the truths that sort of come to the surface. And we have endeavored to do that as we've gone through the book of Philippians, to plow deeply and to look at some of these truths that are lying deep in the text. And at the same time, we haven't neglected to sort of harvest those that are lying on the surface. And as we come to Philippians chapter 4, I was looking back through the last three chapters and all of chapter 4, and I was kind of reviewing in my mind all of the gems that were lying on the surface. Like chapter 1, verse 6, um, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Many of us have memorized that verse. It's a significant verse that speaks of our security in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. We hear that quoted all the time. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind to see others as more important than yourselves. Don't look out just for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And keep this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You get down to chapter 2, verse 9 and 11, and we see that God has highly exalted Jesus and given Him a name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Do do not grumble or complain. Chapter 2, verse 14. You get into chapter 3 and we see that that verse that's often quoted, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice always, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. All the things that appear honorable and true. Verse 8, think on these things. And all that list of all of those precious truths and precious promises and jewels, we would have to add, chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's one of those... Precious verses, those precious jewels, which is just lying up on the surface, waiting for us to quote, waiting for us to tag onto a bumper sticker or put onto a t shirt. And with, in the book of Philippians, with all the verses that are so easy to make our own and make our favorite verses, Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 seems to get singled out for particular abuse. And I use that term strictly, abuse. Not use, but abuse. Sometimes, verses can become so popular that they are quoted with such frequency that through much use, they begin to take on a meaning completely other than what the verse actually means in its context. And they almost have a meaning that we assign to them or we think we understand what that means. And we quote it. We quote it frequently and we quote it to describe this, that, or the other thing. And sometimes I hear people quote or use Philippians 4.13 and I start to ask myself, Do they even know what that verse means? And I would venture to guess that probably 99% of Christians who quote that verse have no idea what is being described in the context, have no idea what the verse is speaking of, have no idea what the verse really means. And if you were to ask them, you've just told me you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now tell me, what is the context in which that verse is written, maybe 1%, I would venture to say 2%, could describe to you the context. Now listen, I'm convinced that most of you here could tell me what the context is. Why? Because we just spent six long, arduous weeks working through all of the verses. You know everything that has come before you. And you sitting here, if you've been with us since verse 10, you know full well that over the course of the last six weeks, you've looked at the context, that you know that the aged apostle who is in prison... He is well-worn, he is infirm, he is nearing the end of his life. You know full well what he means, and you know that he has not in his mind any sort of athletic accomplishment or powerlifting or weightlifting. You know that, right? Yet, isn't that so often how the verse is quoted and used? It is, isn't it? Well, we want to ask ourselves today, what is Paul talking about in chapter 4, verse 13? And you know what it is. He's talking about what? Contentment. Still, he's talking about contentment. And so since that's what Paul's talking about in chapter 4, verse 13, guess what we're going to be talking about? Still contentment, but not so much describing what contentment is, but looking at the power and the strength that we have to be content. And that's what verse 13 is all about. So before I describe to you what verse 13 means, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Let me give you a really sort of... um, Absurd example just to show that there are obviously limits on what Paul is describing here. Paul says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, let me ask you a question. When Paul says all things, does he mean all things? You're sensible people. Think it through. Does he mean all things? Does he mean that I can fly? Does he mean I can go three months without food, water, or air and still survive? No, those are absurd examples. Let me give you another absurd example. Dave Rich will never be an Olympic gymnast. He'll never be an Olympic gymnast. Now, that's because Dave has had two back surgeries. He obviously has all the good looks necessary to be an Olympic gymnast. And I didn't use myself as an example because I'm not good looking enough to be an Olympic gymnast. But if it weren't for that, I obviously would be right on the verge of having all that is necessary to be an Olympic gymnast. But there is a physical disability that Dave Rich has that will keep him from ever being an Olympic gymnast. So does it do any good whatsoever for an Olympic gymnast who is a Christian to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? Is that what Paul's describing? He's not. Can I say to Dave, look, if you just trusted in Christ enough, if you just believed that because you're a Christian, you can do all things, you could be an Olympic gymnast. Is it true that Christ would strengthen him to be an Olympic gymnast? No. Could I ever be an Olympic gymnast? No! I could never be an Olympic gymnast. And Christ will never strengthen me to be an Olympic gymnast. Because verse 13 is not applying to Olympic gymnastics, or weightlifting, or golf, or slam dunking a basketball, or hitting home runs, or being the best quarterback on the field. So obviously, all things doesn't mean all things. It's not referring to everything without qualification. And here's the second thing that Paul does not mean. Paul is not describing any sort of Superhuman, super athletic physical feat. The ability to slam dunk a basketball, or to be the best quarterback in college football, or to win the Heisman Trophy Award, or to hit a hole in one. Paul's not describing any of those things. Now you know that Paul can't be describing any of those things because he has just described what exactly he means by I can do all things. He's describing what? Contentment. I can be content. And you can't stretch it beyond its context to mean anything outside of that. Now, what if you have a Christian quarterback who steps onto the field and his favorite, his life verse is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And let's just say, for instance, he puts the black out underneath of his eyes and he writes Philippians 3.14 or 4.13. My numbers mixed up. Philippians 4.13 on the eye black of his eyes. And he believes I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he saying? He's saying. I can win the Heisman. I can win this bowl game. I can win this national championship. Why? Because I can do all things through through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to claim that verse. I'm going to make that verse my own. Then the quarterback for the opposing team steps onto the field. And the quarterback for the opposing team is also a Christian. And his life verse is also Philippians 4.13. Now what? One of those guys has to lose, right? No, they can't both win. Thankfully, liberals have not taken over sports and made it so that everybody always wins. So one of them is going to have to lose. That's the great thing about sports. There's always a loser. And there's always a winner. One of them is going to have to lose. Now, what about the quarterback who loses? Did Christ not strengthen him to do all things? Was his faith not good enough? Was it not strong enough? Did he not claim that verse as his own? What about the Christian quarterback who steps onto the field, confident that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, and then onto the field steps a pagan quarterback? And the pagan quarterback beats his team like a tied-up goat, and he is absolutely destroyed on the field. What does that say about the pagan quarterback? Who strengthened the pagan quarterback to win the game? Now, Evander Holyfield has on his fighting trunks that he fights with, Philippians 4.13, because he believes that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Now tell me, who strengthens Mike Tyson to be the world champion? Who did that? What do we do with the Muslim, who also is the world champion, who maybe is better than the Christian at his particular sport? You know the problem with abusing that verse? Is that it communicates to people that if you're a Christian, you get some supernatural ability, physical ability, to do what you do and do the best that you can be. And that's not necessarily true. Now there is a sense in which that is true. A very narrow sense. Now listen. It is true that all of my physical abilities are a gift from God. Anything that I can do, I can do because God in Christ has gifted me with those physical abilities. So let's just say, hypothetically speaking, that I could slam dunk a basketball. That physical ability to slam dunk a basketball is in truth given to me by God of common grace. But listen. God also gives that same common grace to hundreds or thousands of other people who are not necessarily believers. I may be able to slam dunk a basketball, it has nothing to do with my Christian faith whatsoever. It has to do with the fact that I'm physically fit, I'm 6 foot 11, and I'm, I'm well built, and I can jump high, and I have all of the skills necessary to do that. God is, it's true that God has given me those skills, but He hasn't given me those skills because I'm a Christian. I didn't wake up one day not a Christian, unable to slam dunk a basketball, wake up the next day a Christian and able to slam dunk a basketball. Right. So anytime you see Philippians 4.13 used to describe anything that an unbeliever can do also, you know that the verse is being misused and misquoted. Because that's not what Paul is describing. Paul is describing a strength that unbelievers do not have access to at all. He is describing an ability that unbelievers do not have. Nothing that believers have as well. So is it true that anything I can do, I can do because God has given me the strength to do it? Yeah, but unbelievers can say the exact same thing. God, listen, that's why I enjoy watching athletics and sports. I enjoy watching phenomenal physical abilities and skills that God in His common grace has given to men of every background, every race, every creed, every religion. All of those are the gift of God. The individual who catches the game-winning touchdown, even though I hated to see it happen, the guy who catches the game-winning touchdown, and it's a phenomenal catch, he does so because God has given him an ability to do that. And that individual whom God has graced with that ability may hate the Lord, he may detest Jesus Christ, he may use his name as a blasphemy and a curse word, but that skill that he has is still his by the common grace of God. Unbelievers have those skills, and believers have those skills. That is not what Paul is describing in Philippians 4.13. So I belabored the point. Now we have to ask ourselves, excuse me, ran out of oxygen. There we go. Now we have to ask ourselves, what is Paul describing in Philippians 4.13? Well, you look at the context and you see the Apostle Paul saying, I thank you very much for the gift that you Philippians sent to me. It did come at a good time. I was in need, and that gift came in and it supplied that need But I want you to understand that I'm not thanking you because you sent the gift and it fulfilled the need. Even though I had the need, I want you to understand I was content with that. I was content because I have learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content, to have that quiet grace of spirit, which accepts from the hand of God, whatever his providence may bring my way. Paul said, I'm able to live with that. I'm able to do with that. Even if it's little or even if it's much, whether it is prosperity or whether it is poverty, whether it is abundance or whether I suffer need, whether I am thirsty and hungry or whether I am well-fed, in any circumstance, in every circumstance, I can be content. And now we may look at the Apostle Paul and say, Paul, how can you say that? What type of stoic, emotionless strength of character, perseverance, is necessary to be able to do that? What type of inner resolve, inner strength, what type of honed skill and ability, what type of go-gettedness and perseverance have you forged in yourself that gives you the ability to handle anything that life sends you without being swayed by it or buffeted by it at all? What is it in you, Paul, that gives you the ability to do that? Nothing. Verse 13, I can do all these things Through Christ, who strengthens me. Now, I want you to notice what Paul said. Every word in the phrase is significant, so let's break it down. I can do. Now, as we've been describing contentment over the course of the last five or six weeks, I think that probably many of you, just as when I first started thinking through this myself, many of you were probably thinking in your mind, Jim, that's impossible. What you're describing is impossible. You are describing a spirit that is able to handle affliction and suffering and disappointment and discouragement and depression and difficulty and all of those things. You're talking about a spirit that is able to go without or be in plenty and to live the same way to handle whatever persecutions. Jim, that's impossible. I can't do that. I can't be content. Well, you're right. It is impossible. It's impossible without Christ. It's impossible if you try and do it in your flesh. Then in every way it is impossible. But what is it that makes it possible? Paul doesn't say, I can do all things, period. What makes it possible is that Paul can say, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. So can I do it? Yes, we can, to quote our president. Yes, we can do that. Yes, I can do that. As a believer, I can be content in any and every circumstance. This is not something that rests just with the super spiritual or just with missionaries or just for pastors or just for super pastors. This is something for every believer. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Contentment. I can be content. I can do it. It's not impossible for those of us who are in Christ. It is impossible if we want to do it by ourselves. It is impossible if we want to do it with our own strength. It is impossible if you're not in Christ an unbeliever can't do this. But as a Christian, I can do this. And I can do all things. Now, what does the all things describe? We've already seen that there has to be a limit on it. Just as Dave Rich will never be an Olympic gymnast, I'm never going to be able to slam dunk a basketball. I'll never be able to lead an NFL team to victory in a Super Bowl. I'll never be able to do any of those things. So the all things is not all things. All things is always limited by its context. So all doesn't always mean all. Sometimes all means only those things that are delineated by what surrounds that all in its context. Well, what in the context is Paul describing? He's obviously not describing all things, but he is describing all things that he has described. that makes sense? He is describing all of the things that he has described. So the all things is limited. Listen, in its limited context, it's limited to contentment. I can go without. I can do that through Him who strengthens me. I may not want to do that. I may not enjoy doing that. Doing that may be harmful to me, it may be difficult for me, it may be injurious to me, but I can do without. I can go without because I can do that through Him who strengthens me. I can handle discouragement and disappointment. I can have my needs unmet. I can live through plenty. I can live through poverty. I can live through abundance. I can live through need. I can go hungry. I can go thirsty. I can be poorly clothed. I can endure persecutions and endure sufferings and endure affliction and endure personal tragedies. I can do all of those things with a spirit of contentment Because He strengthens me to do it. Now in its larger context, before we leave the subject of what the all things refers to, there is a slightly larger context that I think Paul may have in mind. And this is why we read at the beginning, beginning at verse 4. What does verse 4 say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Now I think that the Apostle Paul is describing the ability to be obedient and to do all of the things that he has described for us in chapter 4 specifically contentment, but I think it would also apply to verse 4. Is Listen, is verse 4 easy to obey? Rejoice always. Is that easy? You say, that's impossible. We've, we have spent weeks going through verses 4 through 10, and listen, none of that was easy sledding. All of that was tough slugging going through that. We looked at all those things. Verse 4, rejoice always. You mean always? Yeah, always. How can I rejoice always? Well, you can rejoice always if in every circumstance you're content. But see, when I'm discontent, then guess what happens? I stop rejoicing. It's all connected. How about verse 5? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. All men? Yeah. Well, what if the all men includes some people who are causing me to be hungry, or to go without, or to be imprisoned, or to suffer affliction? Do I let my gentle spirit be known to them also? Well, yeah, but you can only do that if you're content in whatever circumstance the all men are bringing to you. Well, what about worrying about nothing? Be anxious for nothing? Is that possible? It's possible. It's difficult to not worry, but it's possible. Can I really lead an anxiety-free life? I can if I'm not anxious about the circumstances. It's probably because I can be contented with the circumstances. Listen, if you're contented in whatever state you are, then do you worry about the state you're in? You don't. If you're content with it, what's to worry about? I'll take it from the Lord's hand, and if I can be content with that, then I don't need to worry about it. That's verse 6. How about verse 8? Disciplining your mind so that you only think on those things which are... Is that it difficult? And that's hard, isn't it? Disciplining your mind. I can do all of these things. Rejoice always. Let my gentle spirit be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing and pray about everything and discipline my mind and think on those things. Everything that we see in Paul, everything that he has told us to do and enjoined upon us, including contentment, being content in any circumstance and every circumstance... I can do that through Him who strengthens me. I can do it. And I can do the all things. But then at the end of that phrase, verse 13, we get to the key, the whole power behind living a Christian life. And that is, I do it through Him who strengthens me. Everything that I do and everything that I can do, I do because it is Christ in me who strengthens me. The frustrated Christian is the one who thinks they can live the Christian life all by themselves. If you think you can live the Christian life and obey Scripture and reap the blessings and enjoy that and obey God's Word and have joy in your heart and joy in your life and joyful obedience and you can do all of it without the strength of Christ in your own flesh and your own strength all by yourself, let me tell you something. You are in for a frustrated, disappointment, anxiety-ridden, exasperating train wreck of a disappointment. That's what you have to look forward to. But when as Christians, we come to the understanding, I can do it through him who strengthens me. John 15, verse 5. Without me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. Not without me, you can do most things. It's only the miracles that you need me for. But without me, you can do nothing. You can't lead the Christian life. You can't walk in the Spirit. You can't obey the Lord. You can't understand Scripture. You're not going to hunger for His Word. You're not going to be obedient in anything apart from Christ. Without Him, you can do absolutely nothing. Paul described his own strength that he got from the Lord in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who considered me faithful and put me into service and strengthened me to that end. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. At my first offense, and this is writing from a prison and not the prison he's enjoying at the end of the book of Acts when he writes Philippians, but this is the dark, damp, Interior prison cell awaiting execution. The sentence has been passed. He's on death row. It's a matter of days, perhaps weeks before he's executed. And Paul says, At my first defense, standing before Nero, no one supported me, but all deserted me, and may I not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. What gives a man the resolve of spirit and strength to be able on death row? before the most powerful man in the world, Nero, as wicked as he was, knowing his life was on the line to be able to stand there before Nero and preach the gospel. Is that a strong man? It's not a strong man. That's a weak man who knows where his strength is. That's a weak man who knows where his strength is. That's why Paul says, I stood in before Nero, and the proclamation has been fully accomplished so that all the Gentiles might hear. I've run my race, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith right up to the very end. I stood in the presence of Nero and I preached Christ to Nero and it's all over, Timothy. I'm done. I've run it to the end. Strong man. No. Weak man. who knows where his strength lies and where his strength comes from. Paul described that strength that he had in all through his epistles as he was talking about the different activities of his ministry. Let me ask you this. Who was it I'm trying I'm struggling for a way to phrase this so that it doesn't sound weird. Paul's strength rested not in himself but in Christ. But when he says I can do all things through him who strengthens me, who is it that does it? Who is it that is content? Paul or Christ? It's Paul, right? Don't ever live under any illusion that you will be content apart from your own effort to be content, your own learning of contentment, your own working through contentment, understanding of contentment and practicing contentment. But when you finally reach contentment, don't be under any illusion that you did that all by yourself or that your work or labor had anything to do with it whatsoever because it was Christ in you that did that. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4.13, and this I think is the most beautiful aspect of that whole verse, it is two sides of the same coin. I can do. I can do. I, Paul, I can do. All things through whom? Him who strengthens me. Who is it? Is it Paul or is it Christ? Yes. It's Paul. But it's Christ. But is it all Paul? It's all Paul. But it's not all Paul. It's all Christ. It's the Philippians 2:13 or 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, By the grace of God I am what I am. But his grace toward me did not prove in vain, but I labored more than all of the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Well, Paul, was it you that labored in the faith or was it the grace of God in you? It was both. Paul says, I labored, but it wasn't I that labored. It was Christ who labored in me. Colossians 1.29, for this purpose, I labor, striving according to his power which works within me. What? Who's doing the working? Paul is doing the working. I can do. I have to be content. So I will set about making myself content. And I will lead my heart to contentment. And I will lead my mind to contentment. And I will work on contentment. But I labor and I strive knowing that I do so according to this power which works within me. So I can do this through Him who strengthens me. I can't do it on my own, but God's not going to do it without me. Does that make sense? It's the same thing with walking in the Spirit. I've been crucified with Christ. and It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I do live in the flesh, but yet it's not I. It's Christ within me. So who's living your life, Paul? Well, it is I, but it's Christ in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So who lives your Christian life for you? Who is it? You do. But not you alone. Christ in you lives in it. But you say, I do it. Yes, you do do it. You do do all of that you do. But it's Christ in you who gives you the strength to do all that you do. That's the two beautiful sides of that coin. Who is responsible for my sanctification? I am. But without Christ, I cannot make any progress toward that whatsoever. But Christ is not going to drag me to sanctification. Because without my effort, guess how much progress I'm going to make? None. I've got to put forth the effort. So I labor and I strive according to His grace which works within me. So I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Let me give you three, if I can remember all three of them, let me give you three applications of this. First of all, friends, this is for only believers. Unbelievers don't have any access to the strength of this power whatsoever. Unbelievers don't have that. If you're not in Christ, if you've never trusted Christ for salvation, you've never been born again, you have absolutely no access to spiritual strength or enabling whatsoever. You are hopeless and helpless. The fact that you have no spiritual strength is not your greatest greatest problem. Your greatest problem is that you're going to stand before God without any righteousness and be judged according to your deeds. But an unbeliever has absolutely no access to this strength whatsoever. doesn't apply to unbelievers. That is why anytime you see Philippians 4.13 used to describe anything that unbelievers can do also, that you know that that verse is being abused. Because Paul is not describing Anything that believers can do, or unbelievers can do. Unbelievers cannot be content. Not in a biblical fashion. They cannot have that quiet frame of spirit which has learned to receive from God's hand all that His fatherly and gracious and wise will has bestowed upon us. Unbelievers don't have access to that. Second, not only is this only for believers, but this is for every believer. Philippians 4.13 It's for every believer. This is not just something that applies to miracle workers and stage healers or radio pastors or TV preachers or guys with big international ministries and radio programs all over the globe. This is not just for the super spiritual missionaries or the super spiritual among us here. This is for every believer. Every single believer can be content in the way that Paul describes it here. Every single believer can be content because of the strength that they rely upon is not their own, but it's Christ's. And Christ expects all of us, by faith, to tap into that strength. And here's the third, and I think a beautiful thing about this passage and this verse. This strength that Paul is describing here is not something that is manifested in our strength. The strength that Paul is describing here is something that is manifested in weakness. Someday we're going to have an opportunity, I hope, to go through 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and spend a lot more time there. But just by way of review, I want to remind you about 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul is struggling and praying about a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan sent to buffet him to keep him humble. And Paul was imploring to the Lord, he did so three times. Lord, take it away. Take it away. Lord, don't you see what this does to me? The anxiety that I'm in, the discouragement that this brings, how this limits me physically, limits me spiritually, limits me so that I can't do all of the things that I wanted to do. There were things that Paul wanted to do and wished he were able to do, but he couldn't because he looked at the thorn in the flesh that he had, this messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him, and he prayed to God, take it away from me. Can't you see, Lord, what this is doing to me? Take it away. Take away the affliction. Remove it from me. And what did the Lord say? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is perfected in weakness. Now, let me paraphrase what the Lord was saying. The Lord was saying, Paul, I don't want to take the thorn in the flesh away. I don't want you strong. I want you weak. Why? Because if you're strong, you won't rely upon my strength. I want you in this condition. I want you in this situation. I want you weak. I want you humble. I want you unable to do all of the things that you want to do. And the answer is not in me changing your situation and in changing your condition, but in you understanding my grace in the condition, in the situation, in your circumstance, so that you'll tap into my strength with the supernatural. And what I really want, Paul, is not for you to be strong, I want you to be weak, and I'm going to do what I can to make you realize your weakness so that you'll tap into my strength, and when you tap into my strength, my strength will be manifested through you. But if I change the situation, if I change your circumstances, Paul, then you will need neither my grace, nor will you need my strength, and then where shall we be? Now, that's a very loose paraphrase. You're not going to find any of that in 2 Corinthians 12, but that's the essence of what Jesus was saying to him. Paul, I don't want you strong. I want you weak. Why? Because strength is perfected. In weakness. And then Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. I will be content with distresses and discouragements and depression and all of the things that come upon me. I will be content with all of these things. Why? So that the power of Christ may be manifested in me. Paul then understood. It's not my strength that glorifies God. It's my weakness. And when I am weak, then He is strong. And it is only when I am weak that I realize His strength. And this is what Philippians 4.13 applies to. It's not a Christian victory verse. Oh, I can do all these phenomenal physical feats and accomplishments through Him who strengthens me. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It means this. I can handle defeat after defeat after defeat after humiliation after hurdle after obstacle after discouragement. I can handle all of that. Why? Because He strengthens me to, in order to be content and to face all of those things that he brings into my life. Whatever the hand of providence brings me, I can be content into it because he strengthens me to do it. And in all of those circumstances and in all of those situations, that's when we realize I'm at the end. I am weak. I can't do this. I've lost hope. I'm at the end of me. I have no more strength to carry on. That is when the supernatural strength kicks in. that is when we tap into a strength that is beyond us. Absolutely beyond us. Two quotations and I close. One from Jeremiah Burroughs in that book that I mentioned over the last few weeks, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Burroughs writes, A Christian finds satisfaction in every circumstance by getting strength from another. By going out of himself to Jesus Christ by his faith acting upon Christ and bringing the strength of Jesus Christ into his own soul, he is thereby enabled to bear whatever God lays on him by the strength that he finds from Jesus Christ." There is strength in Christ not only to sanctify and save us, but strengthen strength to support us under all our burdens and afflictions. And Christ expects that when we are under any burden, we should act our faith upon Him to draw virtue and strength from Him. He says, take upon me my yoke, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we look at sometimes at the yoke that comes with being a Christian and we say, oh, All of the afflictions that come my way, are you kidding me? I don't want to handle all those afflictions. Sufferings and persecutions and going without and learning all the contentment. What kind of a burden is it to be a Christian? It's the lightest burden you could ever bear. It's lighter than the burden that the unbeliever bears. It's lighter than the burden that the unbeliever has to deal with, knowing that he has to face God in eternity with all of the sin credited to his own account. It's lighter than the self-righteous man has to bear, thinking that he can weigh up under all of the righteous requirements of the law and somehow please God in his own righteousness. It's the lightest yoke you could possibly ever bear. And his burden is light. Is it a burden to be a Christian? Yeah, there are burdens with being a Christian. Yeah, there's a yoke to being a Christian. But it's the lightest yoke and the lightest burden you could ever bear. And here's the good news. He gives you strength to bear the burden and to carry the yoke. As one has so aptly said, Jesus is not a bridge over troubled waters. But he will pull you through the waters if you can stand the toe. That's the Christian line. He will pull you through the waters if you can stand the toe. But everybody has to go through the waters. This is something that the Old Testament saints understood as well. Isaiah chapter 40, and this was up on the screen earlier, where he gives strength to the weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. The Old Testament saints understood it. When we're at the very bottom, when we're at the very end of ourselves, the Lord gives strength and those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary and they will walk and not faint. Why? Because the strength that we tap into is not our own. It's a supernatural strength. So I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. And we find, this is the promise of Philippians 4.13, when we are at the end of ourselves, that is when we find out that His strength is absolutely Perfect. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank You for the promise of Your Word. We thank You that again You have encouraged us to trust in You and we pray that our faith may be active to trust in Christ for salvation and not just having been saved and being sanctified, but also to be strengthened for Your use. We know that it is not impossible and we trust that through our efforts in understanding contentment and displaying contentment and being content, that You would be glorified to give us the strength to that end and continue to work that work in us. Thank you that we can have the confidence that you who began a good work in us will complete and perfect that until the day of Christ Jesus. We pray that you would sanctify us according to your truth. In Jesus' name.